You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. <laughs> Amen. Jesus Christ, what a beautiful name it is. Amen, church. Well, I, I do want to take this opportunity to thank our South Bay worship team. Uh, I don't know about you. My heart's prepared. I'm ready to go. I don't know that I can totally say that coming in here this morning. I uh, walked in and greeted one of the brothers. Um, he'll remain nameless. Maybe. <laughs> I said, well, good morning, bro. He said, oh, good morning, Steve. Uh, he goes, but I don't think it's going to be a very good afternoon for you. And I, I'm not always the sharpest tool in this shit. I'm thinking, man, that's pretty darn crazy cryptic. What the heck did he mean by that? And then it dawned on me, the Steelers are playing the Chiefs today. Chiefs are 5-0, and and we don't even want to talk about last Sunday other than the fact that Pittsburgh was beautiful. I appreciate having had the opportunity to experience my first NFL game in person ever. Um, leave it to me to p- pick the one that went the way that it did, right? But, uh, yeah, I'm not going to name the brother. You can figure it out. There's only a few Chiefs fans in the group here. But my name is Steve Marici, and I have the incredible privilege of serving here as the lead evangelist in the South Bay Church. Uh, Brian Craig is away at an anime conference, an uh, international uh, worship conference is taking place. And uh, so definitely want to thank Joe for putting the, putting the band together here this morning and uh, everything that took place with that. And then um, is Daniel, Kim, and Reese in the group here this morning? <laughs> Uh, is, Nerese is in Kids Kingdom, so you'll have to convey to her the warm welcome the two of you guys got, knowing that I'm introducing them to you as uh, an engaged couple this morning. <laughs> kind of exciting. You know, I, I just want to say, um, it's really been quite a number of years since I've had the opportunity to work with the youth in leadership, per se, every ministry I've been a part of in the past, there's been campus ministries and different ways to engage in that level. And it's been such a joy and degree of refreshment for me to have the opportunity to partner with Daniel Kim. And just what an incredible job he's doing in our singles ministry and growing and maturing and on so many different fronts. Grateful for the friendship that I have with him. This morning, um, you may be wondering what the heck the return of the elephants up on the... Uh, screens for and that we finished the series last week um we kind of did but you know i i decided today that to maybe it would be good to revisit it a little bit so uh with the return of the elephant dealing with the elephant in the room you know we've been dealing with topics like marijuana false doctrine politics homosexuality i mean a wide array of things over the last couple of years but i decided there was one that we hadn't addressed and it is the elephant in the church. So today what I'm going to be talking about is purpose versus preference. And I want to start out with a uh, story that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. You guys all remember Joseph, right? Yeah, no, Je- <laughs> well, there's a few, but we are talking Genesis, so I think that does narrow down a little bit, babe. Um, anyway... Joseph was a little bit of a dreamer. He had a number of brothers. There were some issues there, a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of arrogance on his part. And his brothers decided that their lives would be better if he was dead. So they dumped him into a cistern. Uh, one of the brothers got a kind of a touch of conscience, decided that, well, we'll pull him out of the cistern and we'll sell him to the Midianites, who were enemies of the Israelites, 
who sold him to the Egyptians, who set him up as a houseboy for Potiphar's wife. All kinds of issues there. Ended up in jail. Basically ended up making it to the point where he became Pharaoh of Egypt. It's pretty darn crazy, but it shows you when you walk with God, how God works with you in an amazing way if we're focused on purpose versus preference. New Pharaoh comes along, though isn't familiar with Joseph or the Israelites' history. And all he knows is, man, these Israelites are multiplying like rabbits. we got more of them than we know what to do with. Got a little afraid that if they were to be attacked by an enemy, that the Israelites would raise up with the enemy and overthrow the Egyptians. So he decided, well, we're going to start tasking these guys, enslave them all, have them start building pyramids. And needless to say, that doesn't squelch the growth rate. It continues at an even accelerated rate, gets more stressed out, long and short of it is the Jews, the Israelites, raise up. There's leadership change. we got this guy, Moses, who decides that, you know what? He listens to God. Again, purpose over preference. We know that Moses wasn't super fired up about the role that he engaged in, but ultimately leads the Israelites out of Egypt. You know, there's plagues. There's people dying. All the firstborn were threatened by the Pharaoh. All, all the firstborn that weren't protected through via the Passover in the direction that God gave. Again, adhering to the purpose that God established, those that did were spared. Those that didn't lost their firstborn sons. But anyways, the Jews are on their way out of Egypt. And as Moses led his people of Israel out of captivity and towards the promised land, they took a path that maybe wasn't quite the shortest or the easiest. We're going to pick up this morning in Exodus 13, verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Which, you know, I mean, I can get this. After living under an abusive uh, oppression for 430-some years, I'm sure as they entered into the desert, this long route around wasn't something that they preferred. And, you know, we... We know a little bit about the desert that they were going through. wasn't a whole lot of water. There were scorpions. There were vipers. There was all kinds of stuff. Uh, warring neighboring tribes. But, you know, at the same time, they kind of lost sight as to what the Egyptian regime they were under was about. They were fleeing the same one that once had decreed their firstborn sons be murdered, not to mention the forced labor and the physical beatings that were taking place. So shortly after deliverance, I know it's going to come as a shocker, we see the Israelites start to complain. I know. Shocker, right? They start to complain. There's no correlation there. At least now you got me thinking. But anyway, they start to complain and personal preferences start to slip in and overpower the purpose that God had established for them, which was to enter into this incredible promised land, this promise of all the food, agriculture, water, everything they could want, not even having to work for it. Just walk in and take it on over. And then in Exodus 16, verse 3, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out in the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You know, Brian Voss talked about God's grace, and we're going to see a little bit of that right here, and that God hears their grumbling, but he decides to demonstrate what an incredibly loving and gracious God he is by providing quail in the p.m. 
and manna in the am. But the grumbling continues. You know, there's a shortage of water, and they're burnt out on the manna. I mean, we're sick of manna. And I think I kind of understand the, uh, the thing with manna. I don't know why. This kind of pops in my head. You may have a different view of that. But, you know, we got this stuff that floats down from heaven, and they gather it in the morning, they eat it, and it totally takes care of their needs. To me, that kind of sounds like a really dried-out protein bar. You know, I mean, it, it's got all this RDA stuff, you know, the daily requirements that are covered, and certain number of grams of protein, fat, and carbohydrates, and it kind of makes sense until you bite into one, right? I, I've yet to have one that I, I found fulfilling in taste and texture, it gets the job done sometimes when it comes to dealing with the whole hunger pangs, but if I had to have a diet of protein bars every day, I'd probably be grumbling and complaining a little bit as well. So with God, God tries to facilitate their physical deliverance from the desert to this incredible land of milk and honey, which for us is a foreshadowing of deliverance that we get when we die. Being able to move on from this desert of a life that we live in into this amazing heaven that God has provided for us because of his son, Jesus Christ. And this thing I love about God is that he's consistent. God had their purpose in mind, not just their preference. You know, the extra miles that they endured were not punishment from God. And some may think that, that, you know, that may have been the case. But really, the extra miles were his provision for them so they would rely on him. I mean, these guys were multi-generational slaves, 430 years of slavery. How prepared are they to take on some of these crazy warrior tribes that were in the geography that they were a part of? They were slaves. They weren't warriors. God knew that. Now, if they had gone the way that they had wanted to go, bottom line is they probably wouldn't have had any more courage to continue without than they did through the life that they were experiencing in the desert, even though God met all their needs. They weren't yet prepared to face an enemy. We know that based on the spies that went into the promised land in Numbers 13. In Numbers 13, verse 30, it reads, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Here's a man that understood the direction from God. Here's a man who understood God's purpose for his life. Here's a man who trusted what God said. But it goes on and says, But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, and I think my wife's going to write a book at some point in time, Who are they? But they said the land was explored, devours those living in it. And all the people we saw are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. Descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Now, how would they know how they look to them? Right? I mean, I'm reading this like, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Okay, I guess they can, they're telekinetic or tell us something and they were able to figure out what the nephilim thought about them i think this is something we need to really understand that god's way doesn't always seem like the best way that is if you define the best way as the shortest the most comfortable or the most convenient way or what we would prefer many times god's way is none of those things but instead of leading you the short way to what you want god will often lead you the long way to what you need And it may not be the easiest, 
but it will be the most purposeful. Now, wait a minute, I think there's a couple things we need to keep in mind this morning. We all need purpose. This is one of the things I love about Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. Jesus really simplified it for us in Matthew 28 or 22 with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The greatest command. And the second, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's one of the things I love so much about the South Bay Church is we look around, because of our love for God, we are probably one of the most diversified churches in the South Bay area. In the Los Angeles area, we've got all races, we've got all ages. Sunday does not represent the most segregated day of the week for us like it does in many churches. And that's because I believe there's an adherence to the purpose that God's given us, the direction he gave us to love him and then love our neighbor as ourself. And then the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations so I can baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and continue to teach those to obey all. There's this call to obedience because God knows what is best for us. I mean, you think of what the Israelites' journey into Canaan would have looked like if they had trusted God and adhered to the purpose he established for them. We had a whole generation that died in the desert because of their obedience or disobedience, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb and their families and the youth. I mean, basically, I think with Joshua and Caleb, what we're seeing is our first, first youth ministers. Amen? That just kind of came to me. That's a freebie. But really understanding that we need commitment. We need a determination to put ourselves aside. We need perseverance because, again, God's purpose and direction isn't always going to be the shortest distance between two points, or at least what our perception of it would be. There needs to be a willingness to trust in God no matter our situation or our timetable. You know, it's one of the things I love about Daniel, the book of Daniel. Daniel was praying about this kingdom that would endure forever, right? Was it a kingdom he saw? No. And this blows my mind that his entire life could be focused on helping usher in, directing people spiritually as to this oncoming kingdom that was coming. And it was something he would never experience, yet he prayed for it daily, looking to usher that in, waiting for the day. You know, I remember we did Mark Batterson's book on, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the book. Circle Maker on prayer. You know, I think some of you know, our daughter's still on her journey. She became a Christian when she was in her teens. And after reading that, and taking a look at Daniel's life, I needed needed to come to a conviction to myself that, you know what? I may never live to see my daughter come back. But it doesn't mean she won't come back. And to be praying that that does take place, and who knows, it might take my very death for the thing to really open her eyes to her need for God. But being surrendered to that, is that on my timetable? Heck no. I'd love to be able to rejoice in that day, and God willing, I'll be able to. But I'm foolish to think that it's going to work out within my time. So number uh, one of the first things I want us to look at this morning is preference, which is a greater liking for one alternative over another. A preference for long walks and tennis over jogging. A thing preferred. Some of the synonyms. Favorite, first choice, selection, uh, priority, favor, precedence, preferential treatment. Preference can be described as a choice, negotiable, optional. 
And I think really understanding preferences being negotiable, there's something that are subject to change no matter what our mood is on. I mean, you can wake up in the morning and think, you know what, I want Thai today. And you drive by the Thai restaurant, you know, I'm burnt out on this place. I want something else. I mean, isn't that a preference? There's no purpose behind that. It's just a choice or a selection that we make. Preference says this is the best that I have found until it's not. And then the search starts all over again. And I think some of us can even be that way with church. You know, we come in and if, you know, we like a certain preacher, it's kind of like the whole 1 Corinthians uh, 1 thing where some follow Cephas, some follow Paul, some follow Apollos. I mean, we've got a, we've got a plethora of great speakers in the church. I'm, I'm just saying, not myself, we've got a lot of guys who can preach the word powerfully and do a great job with God's word. And I know there's some of you who prefer Daniel Kim over me. There's some of you that prefer Mark Steberg over me. There's some of you that prefer Brian Craig over me. I prefer some of you over me. You know what? That's okay. That is okay. But when we get caught up in the preferences and the preferences start to dictate our direction, and we decide that, you know what, this isn't the church for me because of what I prefer, there's a problem. Here's some examples of preferences that we can get caught up with within the church. And we've seen how destructive it's been in other churches. Acapella singing, instrumentation, old school, new school, contemporary, traditional, bright lights, color lights, no lights, 20-minute sermon, 30-minute sermon, 60-minute sermon. Okay, the 60-minute one may be pushing it a little bit. <laughs> communion, prayer, communion lesson, communion lesson, testimonial, then prayer. Matzo crackers, pie crust, communion bread, passing the bread and the wine together, passing them separately, raising hands, not raising hands. How about looking at the diversity we've got in this group and just rejoicing in that? Rejoicing in a purpose that's unified us, not a purpose that, not a preference that's going to divide us. Christ is the thing that brought us together. What a wonderful name it is. Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ unified us. Not the type of song or the way it's sung or any of those things, and that's all well and good. I believe in a mix, even though sometimes parts of the mix are not my preference. But you know what? I know there's somebody else out here that it's going to resonate with, and I'm okay with that. We can get caught up sometimes in all this stuff, whether or not my top five list got played on Sunday, and ultimately miss the point of all God has already done for us through Christ. When we look at the purpose in our life, our purpose should never change by what mood we're in or what conditions we're confronted with. It's decisions we have made and will live and die by. That's what's significant. Purpose like conviction is defined as a requirement. It is non-negotiable. Definition of purpose. Oh, you know what? Actually... Let's have a little fun with this. Here's some preferences. You may not be able to see this too well, but Marvel versus DC. <laughs> Star Trek versus Star Wars. House of Cards versus West Wing. Burger King versus McDonald's. Amazon versus Netflix. Oh, you didn't see that. Never mind. <laughs> that, that one must have slipped in there accidentally. We dealt with politics already, right? Those are preferences. Do they have much bearing on life? I mean, are you going to die if the last, you had the last choice that you have for a burger happens to be a Big Mac because Burger King went out of business? Probably not, right? Purpose. <clears throat> Purpose. 
the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. There was a new sense of purpose in her step as she set off. Cinnamon, synonyms, not cinnamon. Synonyms, 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 synonyms. Determination, resolution, resolve, steadfastness, ambition, motivation, commitment, conviction, dedication. Those all define purpose. Josh McDowell in his booklet, Beyond Belief to Conviction, states that conviction about purpose is a state of being so thoroughly convinced that something is absolutely true that you take a stand regardless of the consequences. Daniel 1, verse 8. says, But Daniel made up his mind, in the the Hebrew, to make up your mind means to set something upon your heart. Daniel made up his mind, purposed or set upon his heart, that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Ultimately, for Daniel, the thing that's going on here, the purpose for man of God is to stay focused on the mission. He knew that if he was going to do what God had called him to do and he engaged in these other things that all the king's wise men were a part of, it would potentially erode his perspective and his view and his ability to have clarity of mind and stay focused on the purpose. And for those of you that I did not, did not mention it to, I apologize, uh, the notes, some fill-ins and that kind of thing, is on our app, South Bay Church app, under notes. If you want to follow along there, some of you probably already doing that. It's kind of cool. We've all got almost a 1,000 of our apps that are out there floating around right now. We, we know we're a church of 230-ish, somewhere in that realm. But really thinking this through when it comes to purpose, really understanding that true purpose leaves no room for compromise. It has a conviction about there being absolutely nothing that's better. And as a people of God, are we convinced that God has got this? That His way and purpose and direction and expectations when it comes to purity in our lives as dating singles, that God's got this. And that God's purpose for marriage is singular. There's a perspective there when it comes to what a marriage should produce. Or that serving in God's church or giving, that these are absolutes. Are we convinced that it's the only way and the best way? I think we've got to, we've got to think this through a little bit. The way you live, date, marry if you give, get married, give and serve today answers that question. Are we convinced that the life of the disciple is the only and the best way? Again, the way you live, date, marry, give, and serve today answers that question. Let's take a look at preference and purpose demonstrated. Preferences compromise. Convictions about purpose do not. Those whose beliefs are preferences and not convictions about purpose compromise whenever it's convenient. And with that, we get to see this again, a little bit of Old Testament here with Daniel 3, verse 15. Daniel 3, verse 15. In contrast, consider the convictions and purpose of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as we go through this passage. Daniel 3, verse 15. It says, Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music. And this probably says something, something about instrumentation, you know. Anyway, 
we do see this mentioned multiple times, Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, David played a lyre. You know, he sang. There was an instrument in singing and all that. But anyway, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves. For thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. In our walk with God, can we say that? You know, there are times I have, and there's other times I've failed miserably. But I think to Brian Voss's point earlier today, as baptized disciples of Jesus Christ, it's awesome to know that we have that grace of God and that we are clothed in Christ. And that our image before God is his son. But really understanding that compromise is the thing that can destroy us. Compromise is accepting what you don't believe because you refuse to fight for what you do believe. So when it comes to preference, preference versus purpose, for me, when it comes to looking at the life of Jesus, probably one of the most emotional passages in the New Testament, which is in Matthew 26, verse 37. We see Jesus give us a real picture of the struggle and some of the great insight as to how to handle that pull that we have in the world. In Matthew 26, verse 37, it says, He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus went away and he prayed that prayer three times. Why do you think that was? Why wasn't the first time good enough? Did God hear him? Of course he did. Did you hear him the second time? Did you hear it the third time? But he knew what the purpose was established for his life. He knew what the very Old Testament scriptures had prophesied about him. He knew what he needed to do in order for us to have a relationship with him. Did he want things to play out the way that they had been ordained from the beginning of time? I think we see right here in this prayer, he was wrestling with it. Matthew 18, verse 4. I love Jesus in the engagement we see in this passage where he's talking about the humility of a child. And when he called over the child to demonstrate who would inherit the kingdom... How do you think he felt? 
knowing he would never embrace a child of his own. If Jesus was into preferences over purpose, maybe he would have preferred to expand his growing business. Maybe he would have preferred to share the marvel of God's creation with his wife, waking up each morning to her rather than waking up with the 12 guys who at one point would abandon him. Maybe he would have preferred to work side by side with his son like Joseph had with his son. Maybe he would have preferred to see and to hold his own daughter someday. Maybe he would have preferred to someday be a grandfather, prefer to grow old with his wife together. I just prefer, prefer not to be nailed to a cross and separated from his Father in heaven as he took on our sins. Just to play out his days peacefully and comfortably. But Jesus didn't give in to temptation or preferences. He endured the cross in the agony of death because he was focused on his purpose, which ultimately was his father's purpose. And because of that, in Acts 2, verse 24, we see this amazing transition in Peter. As Peter preaches who Jesus is and what's going on, he says, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Why? He adhered to purpose rather than preference. Preferences fold. Purpose stands. You know, we, we see this with Peter, and I, I love Peter because I've been known to do a few flip-flops in my life. You know, we, we see Peter where he just has it on so amazingly straight, and then there's those times he kind of veers off a little bit. And in Matthew 16, verse 16, thinking through preferences and purpose, Peter expressed his statement of faith. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we see in Luke 22, shortly after this, Jesus says to Peter, after his confession of the faith, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And I love this. There's this encouragement. You know, you don't have where you, it's not where it needs to be, Peter. But I know you, Peter. I'm praying for you, Peter. You will get it on straight. And when you do, go back and strengthen your brothers. That's the purpose that was assigned to Peter. And we know that he engages on that level. You know, when you turn back, when you move from the conviction or when you move from preference to the conviction of purpose, Peter, strengthen your brothers. You know, when it comes to preference, sometimes with preference, we can just prefer to not get engaged. We prefer to just sit it out. In Matthew 26, verse 69, we see that with Peter. It starts out, Matthew 26, verse 69, or, yeah, verse 69, says Peter was sitting out. Pause mine for emphasis. But Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl said and saw, saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, 
Surely are you one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately, a rooster crowed. See, preference versus purpose allows us to succumb to fear. You know, we see this in Peter. But Peter makes that transition. Now, that rooster crowing there, we know that's something that probably haunted him for the rest of his life because he gave up his purpose for something that he preferred, something a little more comfortable than what he potentially was faced with at that time. But in Acts 2, verse 14, when it comes to purpose, I love this. In the New American Standard Bible, it says, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and he declared to them, Men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. And then later in verse 36, after the people seeing the stand he took and the conviction he had and hearing the words that he preached, says they were cut to the heart. In verse 36 he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, and thousands of people responded to Peter in this passage where he says you need to go, you need to repent and be baptized for forgiveness of your sins. Thousands, because of his stance and him embracing God's purpose, made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life on that day. You know, as disciples, as disciples of Christ, the focus needs to be on Christ and not ourselves our personal preferences. It's not about preference. It's about purpose. Because in the life of a disciple, there are going to be times where it is very uncomfortable. Especially if you're outspoken about what you believe or you share the good news about your life, how Jesus come in your life and what that represents and what that has done. How many of you have run into opposition or, at the very least, some form of mockery when you've talked to people about Christ? I mean, does that make it easy? Is that comfortable? But that's what we're called to do. And to be able to see the difference that taking that kind of stance makes, I wouldn't be here today if the couple that reached out to us were more concerned with their preference than they were their purpose. Purpose doesn't give way to pressure or fear. And purpose has a definitive direction. Purpose will not change under any circumstances And really, again, just thinking it through, purpose is not something that is driven by peer pressure. And I think, you know, probably one of the most challenging areas as a church we have that would probably be with our our youth, our teen ministry. I mean, talk about crazy peer pressure. And for those of you that have really gotten in there and decided that you're about purpose rather than preference, I commend you before the Lord taking that kind of stance. And you may not see it right now, but you will change the lives of people around you because you stand out as a contrast to this dark, lost world. There's some research by Barna. It says that 81% of the teens today claim that all truth is relative to the individual and his or her circumstances. You know why that is? What, what, what do you think the reason for that is? you take a stance as a teen, what more than likely it will happen? Especially with all the crazy out there today. Oh, you're a bigot. You're this. You're that. You're, yeah, you're a hater. 
You know, you're, you, you call yourself a Christian. Where, where's the love? Where's the acceptance? Well, it's there, and you're modeling it when you live it. There's no greater degree of love than you can demonstrate than living your life for Christ in a way that other people can see it. See, with no absolutes, with no objective standard, there is no direction. And how many of our youth today really are directionless? Why do you think we have such a high suicide rate today? Why is there so much depression? Why is there so much drug abuse? Because there isn't a purpose. Thomas Carlyle, philosopher, teacher, historian, says that the man without a purpose is like a ship without a rudder. Have purpose in life and having it, throw all your strength of mind and muscle into the work as God has given you. Then in Ephesians 4, verse 14, in, in referencing this, you know, a man without a purpose like a ship without a rudder, we see that when we, as disciples, drift. And we don't grow and mature and continue to stay engaged spiritually with God through prayer and the Word and one anothering. You know, I really want to commend the Wingies. I thought they've done a phenomenal job the last couple of weeks on just discipleship, on discipling, loving each other, what that all means. But in Ephesians 4, verse 14, and I think this is where, as a church, we need to continue to embrace this and grow and mature. As Paul says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, purpose says we do have a standard. Amen? We do have a standard. Truth is not relative. There are absolutes. Jesus and the grace of the cross is that absolute. It doesn't get any more definitive or absolute than that. Jesus came and died on a cross, took on our sins, bled for us. So that through his death, our sins would be forgiven. I mean, if that isn't an absolute, we are all wasting our time here. Right? And for me, it's so encouraging to know that because of the grace God extended to me through His Son, this isn't a waste of time. I mean, I could be making a ton more money in the secular world. But I love the opportunity God has given me to make a difference in the role that I'm in. And I know as so many of you do. I mean, you know, the secular world's a great place to be too. And that my sphere of influence tends to be you guys. Until I sit down and study the Bible with somebody. In the workplace, it gave me the opportunity to share my faith with people in a much different setting that was conducive to people becoming Christians. But I love this in that it gives me such a greater means of impact. John 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? You know, it's not like this in the first time Jesus had had a conversation of this type with Thomas, but sometimes we need a little bit of repetition. Amen? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then again in verse 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Truth, that is Jesus. That is absolute. There's only one way to the Father in heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. 
Psychologist Chris Thurman says, truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. Truth is the roadmap for negotiating the difficult challenges of life. Without truth, we get lost and we develop emotional problems that tell us we're lost. We often settle for half-truths or no truth at all because they're usually easier. Easier. But truth is the only road to emotional health. There is no other path. And I really like this next quote. My wife, Jacqueline Marici. Living purpose is living proof. Amen? It's simple. It's basic. But man, I hope it resonates. Because if we're living within the accordance of the purpose that God established for us, guess what? We are the proof. Wherever you go, you're the proof. That there is a definitive truth. There are absolutes. There is a heaven. And that we have the means of getting there because of the word that was brought to us through Christ. German philosopher, writer, and atheist, Frederick Wilhelm Nietzsche, it's kind of interesting with him too. You know when he lost his faith? He was a Christian. Any of you know that? He went to seminary. And Yeah, seminary, cemetery. I'm just repeating what I heard. I won't say who I heard it from. <laughs> I shouldn't have responded to that. Um, anyway, but you know, and this is not unusual especially because of how our Christian schools have gotten so watered down in their approach, and they've lost sight of the purpose, and they're much more preference-driven, because guess what, guys? It fills the schools. It fills their coffers. It's way easier to kind of blur the lines and have a much broader appeal than to stick and adhere to what Jesus Christ has laid out. But he says, show me that you are redeemed, and I will believe in your Redeemer. That's not a quote that we're too familiar with. Most of us are familiar with the famous one, which is what? God is dead. But he says right here, and this is after he lost his faith, show me you are redeemed, and I will believe in your Redeemer. Philippians 1, verse 27. And this is why the way we conduct ourselves is so incredibly important. Whatever happens... Doesn't matter what the conditions, circumstances, whatever it is that you were having to endure, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spot, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. That's so amazing. We've got all we need to stand firm till the day that we die. And we'll be, we'll be faced with eternal life rather than destruction by just conducting ourselves in a way worthy of the gospel. See, when it comes down to preference versus purpose, Mark Labberton writes, Many debates about worship are just indirect ways of talking about ourselves, not God. Our debates devolve into how we like our worship served up each week. It's worship as consumption rather than offering. And it's an expression of human taste, not a longing to reflect God's glory. The way to win the war with self is to surrender. We're going to close in Romans 12, verse 1. 
This is what it all comes back to. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to make sure we're not living according to our preference, but we're living for the purpose that God has so clearly laid out for us and demonstrated for us through the life of Christ. Amen? With that, let's go ahead and go to the Father and pray for communion. Father, as we come before you this morning, I just keep going back to that song. What a beautiful name it is. The fact that we're able to call on the name of Jesus Christ, know that you hear us, know that we have a relationship, know that he mediated for us and created this bridge so that we could have a relationship with you is so encouraging. It's knowing personally that I'm so unworthy, but the fact that you were willing to send Jesus to die for me when I was at my worst is so amazing. Father, I pray for my life and each of our brothers and sisters here and for those who have yet to uh, bow down and make Jesus Christ Lord of their lives, that there will be that acceptance, there will be that lordship, and with that lordship, more and more people will have the opportunity to know you. And Father, we're grateful that you sent Jesus again to die for us, that he was willing to endure the cross and subject himself to the purposes you established for him rather than the lifestyle that he could have chosen. And because of that, we're blessed with the grace that we have to call you Father and to know that that's something we'll be able to say for eternity. Father, thank you for this time as we take the bread and the wine, grape juice that represents the blood of Christ. Give us the opportunity to reflect on what our lives were like before we became Christians and what they're like now. And Father, for those that have yet to make Jesus Lord, I pray that it's on their hearts today to really explore what that means by just reaching out to those that brought them here today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.